There's been a ton of conversation around Coach Davis's use of the bench in his first two seasons. What is that minutes allocation going to look like this year? I'm about to break it down for you. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, August 25th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us to help get your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Coming up on the show today, we're going to be talking with our football recruiting insider, Brian Smith. Got some interesting questions for him about uh, Mac Brown's long-term plan and how that might be hurting things on the recruiting trail, along with a recent wide receiver commit, another one, yep, Javarius Green. So we'll be talking about all that in a little bit. But before we get there, I want to do something. I've been talking about this for a long time now. Um, In our summer roster preview series, Coach Pat Kilby and I, a lot of times we'll talk about how many minutes we expect a player to get. And we're just throwing out the numbers and it's like, you know, everybody can eat, right? But at at some point, there's only 200 minutes in the pie. And so you got to start realistically looking at how many minutes can a player actually get? So finally, I was like, all right. I'm going to sit down and do this, figure out what I think about it as well. Also, shouts to my guy, Jonathan Fox, who has sent me his thoughts on it, which I'll share with you in just a little bit. But he broke it down with a pie chart and uh, and then by position with pie charts. It's great stuff. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm excited to share that with everyone in a little bit. Um, one thing to be aware of, like if you looked at, for example, the average minutes per game for the team last year, if you just simply add up those averages, it actually equates to more than 200 minutes, which is how many minutes a college basketball team plays in one game. Think about it. Five players on the court at a time, 40 minutes in a game is 200 minutes. But when you start looking at averages, just with rounding and other things like that, it actually totals up to more than 200. So it is a little bit of some loosey-goosey math. But as we break it down today, what I'm going to do is actually total it to 200 just to give it, you know, some kind of firm number for us. So the the first big question for me that I want to look at is what is the balance of playing guys like R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott to where you're getting extremely efficient usage out of them without them starting to break down. Because to me, those are your two best players, probably followed right behind uh, Harrison Ingram, following right behind them. But it's like, how do you maximize what you're getting out of RJ and Armando? And at, at what point is, you know, as RJ starts to break down, for example, at, at what point is 90 or 85% of him worth a hundred percent of Seth Tremble. Does that make sense? And so that that's always an interesting thing to me with minutes allocation um, in a game. And, and ultimately I, I'm curious to see if the coaching staff can figure out that middle ground. Part of that is because of this, as we know, coach Davis has been playing his starters at a higher rate, a uh, higher usage rate than coach Williams ever did. And, and your eye test tells you that, well, so does some minutes, uh, some actual st- statistical data that I'll share with you right now. 
under Coach Davis in his first two seasons, how many times in two seasons do you think five players have played have averaged 30 or more minutes for the season? Meaning at the end of the season, you look at players' average minutes per game. How many players under Coach Davis in each season do you think have averaged 30 or more minutes? Well, I'll tell you. It's all five starters both seasons. So last year, all five starters averaged 30 minutes or more per game. I'll read it off to you. Caleb Love, 35-7. RJ Davis, 35. Leaky Black, 32-1. Armando Baycott, 30.3. And Pete Nance, 30.1. If you go back to Coach Davis's first season, the average minutes per game. Caleb Love, 34-1. RJ Davis, 34-0. Armando, 31-7. Brady, 30.4. And Leaky, 29.7, which rounds up to 30. So all five starters have averaged 30 minutes in both of Coach Davis's first years. I'd like you to guess. Times in Coach Williams' tenure, all there were five players who averaged 30 or more minutes. If your guess is anything higher than zero, you're wrong. Literally, in Coach Davis's entire tenure, there were never five players that averaged 30 or more minutes. Now, again, I'm not saying that that is necessarily a bad thing. I'm just pointing out the difference in it. For me, though, I, I do think that this is something Carolina is going to have to get away from. I think that is too many minutes for too few guys. Um, you, One of the nice things about this year is, remember, right now you only have 11 scholarship players, and that's where it's going to be. And so I believe that it's a win to have fewer scholarship-level players to spread these minutes around to. So, for example, last season, 12 players averaged 5-plus minutes a game. The coach Davis's first season, 11 players averaged five plus minutes and 12 averaged four plus. And then after both of those five and four plus minute players, uh, there, there was a big break to the next, um, like average minutes played. So cutting it short of that to 11 scholarship players, too shy of the 13 max allows you to disport disperse those extra four or five minutes around and hopefully for me, not to starters, but to other bench players. Think about, you know, let's, let's say a little bit more about Coach Williams and how he did it. Um, in his last four years, let's just look at that. 2017 and 18, 11 players received seven plus minutes. So basically like the top end is receiving a little bit less and we're still utilizing 10, 11 players, but they're all getting seven or more minutes. So hopefully keeping that usage efficiency up, but there was a big cut after that 11th player down to 3.4 minutes. 2018-19, 10 players received eight or more minutes a game, but big cut after that 10th player. 2019-20, 10 received 12 12, 10 players received 12 or more minutes per game. And again, another big drop off after that 2020, 21 coach Davis's last year, 10 players received eight plus minutes a game. And then another big drop from there. So I really think that type of distribution would be great. Um, about the same amount of guys that are receiving good, good average minutes from coach Davis, but I'd like to see fewer from the starters. And then that being allocated, to you know guys like six through nine ten on your roster and then actually taking a couple minutes away from guys 
you know, 11, 12 and giving those to that middle pack as well. And that's what coach Davis or excuse me, coach Williams was doing each of those last four seasons, for example, 10 to 11 players every year had eight or more minutes a game with a high of 2019, 20, where 10 players got 12 or more minutes a game. That's what I would love to see happen. More minutes to fewer guys. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what I'd like to see, 11 scholarship guys. Here's my breakdown. RJ Davis, 32 minutes a game. Armando Baycott, 30 minutes a game. Nobody else at 30 or more minutes per game. Now, based on the history that I that I just talked about, I don't know if we'll see that happen. But let's talk. Let's look more at it. Harrison Ingram, I think he should get the third most minutes per game, 27. I got Cormac Ryan at 26. Elliot Cadeau at 25. And uh, part of that is protecting him as a freshman. I think you don't want to risk him breaking down. So I, there is that. And part of that is going to be um, seeing Seth Trimble hopefully get more minutes. So for the five, what I'm projecting starters, RJ 32 minutes, Mondo 30, Ingram 27, Cormac Ryan 26, Elliot Cadeau 25. And then I've got both Jalen Withers and Seth Trimble at 15. Jalen Washington at 12, Paxson Wojcik at 12, and then Akon James Aconquo and Zayden High both at three. So in my allocation, I'm giving nine players 12 or more minutes and then basically giving James Aconquo and Zayden High like developing minutes. And I that's 200, what I've just allocated there. And I haven't factored the, the um, walk-on players into that. And, and I get it that it's a little bit loosey-goosey math because of that. But, but the spirit is there, right? We're more almost looking at what percentage of minutes do you want to give to what guys? Now, I, I would love to see more than I've got. Like, I've got Jalen Washington at 12. There are going to be games, obviously, where he gets more than that. I would love to see that, and I hope that he does. You know, but I, on average, based on what we've seen from Coach Davis, I, th I think this would be a good working model for that. And I'd love to know how you would do it. Send me your breakdown, divide the 11 scholarship players into 200 minutes and see what you would do and how you would allocate it. All right. I said, I want to shout out my man, Jonathan Fox for his breakdown. Let me give you his minutes allocations. RJ Mondo and Harrison Ingram all at 30 minutes. Elliot Cadeau, he's got at 23. Cormac Ryan at 20. Seth Trimble at 17. And then the Jalens and Paxson Wojcik, all three at 15 minutes, Zayden High at five, and James Aconquo at three. And then he's got uh, kind of the bench guys with a few less beyond that. So really interesting stuff. Again, I'd love to know your breakdown of this minutes allocation, how you think it would work, what would be best, and how Coach Davis can keep his guys in, in peak usage position. Well, Coming up in just a second, I want to have a conversation with Brian Smith to ask if the lack of a long-term plan, uh, or at least a publicized plan, for Coach Mac Brown is hurting the Tar Heels in high school football recruiting. We're going to have that conversation in just a second, but first, I need to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Game Time. Life is always so busy, and honestly, the last thing I need is to be stressed out over buying tickets to events. But thankfully, there's Game Time, which has killer deals on last-minute tickets for all the events I want to go to. When choosing seats for events, I always get stressed also about trying to pick out the right ones because I'm worried about the view. 
but game time has images of views from your seat so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Forget about planning months in advance. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. They have deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. I was looking up some Nate Bargatze tickets yesterday and I was like, why am I doing this now? This is in October. I'm going to wait until we get there and look on game time. So you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time is going to credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. The Game Time app, create an account and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Once again, create an account and redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Folks, want to let you know that the two-part Ultimate College Football Preview is live on Locked On ACC right now. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Going to welcome in Brian Smith in just a minute. Want to remind you, as always, that when Brian is with us, it is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On Podcast Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. We're joined now on Locked On Tar Heels by our guy, Brian Smith, Locked On's director of football recruiting. Listen, it's been a rough day for my man, Brian. I think you described it as a perfect storm. He's trying to figure out how to navigate the DMV system in Florida and get all addressed. Man, here's the lesson from Brian, folks. Never move ever. Okay, there we go. Uh, Brian. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's not fun. And it sounds like from what you've told me, our conversation today is going to be not much fun either. Uh, So nice segue there. Here we go. Let me set it up. From Athlon Sports recently, they had an anonymous ACC coaches article that they rolled out where basically ACC coaches were given anonymity in exchange for pretty uh, some, some honest candor about their uh, brethren in the ACC. And this is ahead of the 2023 season. The subtitle of this article, this will help explain it more. Quote, ACC coaches anonymously scout opposing teams for the 23 college football season, end quote. So, Brian, there are two specific quotes about North Carolina in terms of recruiting that I want to pull out of this and and, and let you kind of talk us through what you experience with this, with, with Carolina and with other schools. The first one is about Mac Brown's longevity and North Carolina's plan or lack thereof after that. And the quote is this. No one really knows what the long-term plan with Mac is, and we think, remember this is from an opposing head coach, that that, and we think that's starting to eat into their high school recruiting, end quote. Brian, 
Is there something to that, or is this just a coach blowing smoke? 100% correct. <laughs> 100% correct. Uh, parents, players, high school coaches, et cetera, when they send that young man off to college, their ideal scenario is that you complete the education, the on-field, everything with the same head coach and all that. We all know in the volatility of college athletics today, that's rough in general. You know, if somebody offers you $2 million more million than what you're making, chances are pretty good you're going to take that phone <laughs> take call. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> chances are good. But the situation with retirement is more dicey because hmm. nobody ever wants to announce when they're retiring because it just murders recruiting. It murders it. If you look around college football, what's the history say? If a guy's on the hot seat, the first thing that happens is they extend his contract. Does that really mean that contract doesn't have a whole bunch of buyout clauses that nobody's going to read through except for guys like me who will go through and look at it? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way it works. So nobody knows what's going on with Mac long-term. He'll, he, he tells people around the program from what I've heard, I'm going to be here. The question is who wants him there as far as the powers that be the board of trustees, et cetera, beyond say a year or two. And how does that impact the kid that's 17 that's only a junior this fall and Carolina desperately wants him to come there and play regardless of who the head coach is? These guys want guarantees, which aren't really realistic. But that's it's all in the, the playing field for the elite recruit. They get to go where they want to go. And if they don't like something somewhere, they just they diss it. Every school goes through this at some point in time. Alabama's going to come up on that as sooner or later with Saban. It's going to happen. I know he flat out told a recruit recently that he doesn't want to retire because he's afraid he'll die. <laughs> like literally, like that's what happened to Bear Bryant. He died like five months after he retired from Alabama. But some guys just don't adapt well. Yeah. Saban, I would guess, would be one of those. But Mac, I don't think he will adapt very well either. He enjoys the camaraderie of people as much as anybody in, in our sport. When's he's he going to leave? He's just going to go back to ESPN and hang out with Corso and try on headgear all day, I think, is what's going to happen. Um, so, Brian, let me just pose this potential scenario. Why, you know, this could happen not just in athletics, but but in business or in churches if a preacher's leaving. Why not figure out who you want to be your head coach in waiting, create a succession or a transition plan, and then that creates and provides that stability that when you go into – uh, a recruits home. It's like, Hey, I'm going to be stepping away in two years, but you got to know, this is the guy that's coming after me. We got a plan going. We're going to be ready for you. Still come on. This is going to be great. It, like, is that a thing you can do? You can. There's one really important ingredient there though. The head coach has to be on board with it. Do you really think Mac is on board with that? Not based on what you just said about him, you know, like if it's like willingness and, and readiness to step out. But if it's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't twiddle my thumbs all day. Like, yeah. So, no, I would say no. That's the problem. The worst thing is the unknown. That's why I went back and I used that reference to so-and-so pick a school, pick an era on the hot seat. They always extend their contract. Terrible sign in those cases because – what it really means is the contract's longer, but to get rid of you, it's a lot easier. They better win that next year or they get fired. That's what always happens. So in this case, it's not like he's getting ready to be fired. It's just how effective can he be and can he elevate the program at his age? What is Max, 72? No, I think, I think he's 97, actually. 
Uh, <laughs> no, um, I can't remember off the top of the, uh, I just Googled your name instead of <laughs> Mac. Brown. Mac is, he was born in 51. He is 71 years old right now. So he'll be 72 this year. I mean, yep. look, parents will look at this first and then recruits. But the, the gist of it is this. The parents are going to be like, are you really going to be around my kid for four or five years? And they're not going to necessarily believe that he is, nor should they. I mean, it's possible, but there's a lot of if there. Yeah. Like if somebody calls a coach at Clemson, do they really think Davo's not going to be there in four years? That's no. what I mean. And that's who they're recruiting. Against. Like, who are you recruiting against? Clemson's stable, Georgia's stable, Georgia's you know, Tennessee's stable. All those programs, Florida State's got a younger guy. Florida's got a young South Carolina's got a young Beamer. Yeah. Yep. They're the only one in the area. I mean, even during it, he's not old, old at NC State. He's going to be there at least three, four more years, I would imagine. He's the anomaly. Yeah. That's not good. Okay. So, Brian, here's the second quote from, from this Athlon Sports article that I wanted to ask you about that ties in with this as well. This one was, quote, the knock on them in coaching circles right now is that they've become transfer you, end quote. And, I, I, like, that sounds yikes as well. I, I mean – from the outside looking in at other rosters, it doesn't feel like Carolina has necessarily dipped into the transfer market in, in heavier doses than other schools. I know they've like um, re-upped the wide receiver core through that, assuming Tez Walker gets his waiver. Oh, don't get me started on Good the NCAA grief. right now. I just uh, okay, let's that. just move past that. We got the DMV <laughs> and the NCAA. We just got to keep going. Um, but um, Brian, is I mean, is that a sustainable workaround for potential issues in high school? Is it is it sustainable? Like because with that, it's like, hey, Mac will definitely be around next year, so come play one more year. But why would that be a knock becoming transfer you? Because a lot of people that are high school kids don't want to be just stuck behind a bunch of experienced guys um, talking. And I live in Florida, so it's different in every state, but a lot of my buddies in the coaching profession at the high school level here hate the portal because their kid goes somewhere and they might have the intention of him playing pretty early, but then some kid puts his name in the portal. They're going to take that kid. These guys are trying to stay employed. It's about wins and losses. There's again, it's volatility the, the transfer portal has been a disaster. I know the idea was good, but they did a terrible job. The NCA, I mean, it stinks anyway, but this, they did so poorly on its impacted recruiting. Um, Carolina, you got to give them credit. Sometimes you need help because like you lose a kid early in the NFL. There, there are situations that it's fine, but only a handful of schools. I would say USC and Florida State have hit the biggest booms with them. Like Florida State is, like all the receivers are going to start this year at Florida State are really good. And they're transfer portal guys. The odds of doing that consistently, though, are really low. Yeah. So high school recruits, if they think that you're that team, it can hurt you because they want to play early. Hmm. You know, now a kid like Jeremiah Smith, like he doesn't care. He's, he'll compete with anybody, but there are only a handful of kids who really like that. The normal three, four star kid, they don't want to see a bunch of transfer portal kids ahead of them. There's a balance there. And it is, it is awkward. So like uh, UCF does about 50-50. Every school's got their own method. If they think that you're that school, though, it can hurt you, even with in-state kids. Yeah. 
Well, thankfully, it did not hurt the Tar Heels with yet another in-state wide receiver, Javari Screen, who becomes the fourth in-state wide receiver commit in the class of 24 for the Tar Heels. We're going to talk about this man in just a second. All right, we're here on Locked on Tar Heels today, joined by Brian Smith, our football recruiting insider at the Locked on Network. Brian, Alex Taylor, Jordan Ship, Keenan Jackson, and now Javarius Green. What do they all have in common? They are all in-state North Carolina wide receivers, all committed to Mac Brown and the Tar Heels in the class of 2024. He committed last week on his grandma's birthday. Very sweet and tender moment there for the Shelby, North Carolina young man out of Crest High School. What have you seen about Javarius Green? Very shifty, very intelligent. Makes guys look really bad in space. Um <laughs> He's kind of an old school football. He reminds me a little bit of Heinz Ward, uh, his frame and everything. Interesting. I'm not saying he's on that level. Let's be clear. That's a, <laughs> that's quite the football player right there. But he reminds me a little bit of him, how he plays, how he's built. And I think he could play slot or outside. He's pretty strong for his size. Hmm. He fights well for the ball and has tremendous timing with jump balls and contested catches. I bet he's played baseball or basketball or something else. He, he's a very good athlete, hand-eye coordination. I'm What's not surprised yeah. I wanted him. What's interesting is you're not wrong. He's also going to play at North Carolina, play baseball, uh, which my understanding is that baseball had actually been his focus for quite a while. And then just in the past couple of years has really focused in on football and clearly it's paying off for him now. Not surprised. Um, I could see him being a shortstop, a second baseman, whatever he wanted. I don't know what position he plays, but his hand-eye coordination was pretty unique. And I'm like, I know this kid's played something else. <laughs> so good for him. Yeah. Uh, whether or not he ends up being a superstar at Carolina, I don't know. But his uh, his kind of acumen is rare. Yep. And they're going to find a way to utilize it, especially yep. in the spread. He's built for it. it it's yep. a really good pickup for the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, Alex Taylor and Jordan Ship are, are rated a little bit more highly than both uh, Green and Keenan Jackson. But, I mean, you get in there and do the work. I mean, if, you're, if we're talking Heinz Ward type build – some of, some of those words you're using remind me a little, you know, sound a little Josh Downsy to me of making people look silly in space yeah. in terms of height and size um, and, and ball skills. Uh, so obviously, I mean, gosh, that, that's a once in kind of a, a generation receiver for Carolina with Josh Downs, but uh, you can get your hopes up. <laughs> but Downs, the difference there was just blazing speed. This kid doesn't have that kind of speed. I mean, that, he just ran by guys. I, my, my dead grandmother can coach that. So <laughs> may she yeah. rest in peace. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah, this is a really good football player. And you put all four of those guys together. It's a good unit. You can mix and match them in different ways because most of them can play multiple spots. Right. So as the saying goes, it'll play itself out in fall camp next year. And the pecking order will take care of itself after that. And I think Carolina's pretty good shape passing game. Now, get, now you need to get on my list and talk to me about commitments on the defensive line. Well, that's what you need, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's a little bit less of an area of strength right now in the recruiting game, Brian, in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So, uh, listen, and also we're just trying not to jinx this thing because last time we talked about a commitment here on Locked On Heels, it was Gus Ritchie who, like, ten days later, flipped to NC State. So, uh, there, there's all that noise. I'm, I'm not gonna, yeah. 
<laughs> Coaching yes. stability? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we just won't touch that one. Well, uh, so here's the, I mean, you talk about th- this stable of four wide receivers in the class. Obviously, this year, Carolina, as we had just talked about, had dipped into the transfer portal, gotten two receivers, both, uh, you know, um, fellas coming over from Tez Walker, coming from Kent State, and then uh, from Georgia Tech. And so, but now, I mean, you you look at the guys Carolina brought in in this 23 class that are going to be freshmen this year. You look at somebody like Andre Green, who's a sophomore now that projects to have all sorts of great skills. These four guys, each other, which will both be good for development and you know, as you said, there's going to be a pecking order that plays out, but them growing together, uh, I ultimately think is a big win, right? Like if, if somebody gets dropped off the radar from it, so be it at, at some point, you know, you just like to see Carolina getting in these dudes and then see who can rise to the occasion. Yeah. It's, it's about them. Once they get to campus, I'm not going to doubt that Carolina has good coaches who puts in the work, who does all those things. And having four guys in a class, even if two miss, that's two starters then. You know, if you hit 50% at any position, you do pretty good. That's a win. It's, it's, a, it's really hard. If you look at a roster, even like Alabama, a lot of the guys don't start. I mean, it's, it's not easy to be college football ready early or even as a third or fourth year player. It's a hard process. So Carolina getting four guys that are all good. I've watched all of them at one spot. We know they're at least going to be able to score. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything about your defense. I'm going to let you do that podcast by yourself. But <laughs> Come on, time, right? <laughs> but the offense, I think Carolina is going to be just fine. Yeah. Yes. You love to see that. Now let's go back to the baseball football conversation here, Brian, because one of the things that uh, Javarius Green talked about on his commitment day is he's still deciding, like he said that academically he could enroll early as, as we see a lot of football players do, but he's still deciding if he wants to play his soft or excuse me, his senior baseball season in high school. And I know that's something like myself as someone who went to college on a baseball scholarship. Those are the things you look really forward to. What is that balance of the importance of enrolling early, getting those reps, getting that time in the spring versus like finishing out your sport, another sport that you're going to play at the D one level. How, how do you, how do you balance making those decisions? Well, that's a great question. Um, if he really wants to go to MLB long-term, I'd advise him to play high school. What's, what's his answer to that? Is it football or baseball? He's got to kind of make that choice. Interesting. As far as elite players, most elite recruits that come in early, it doesn't matter as much unless it's quarterback or O-line. If they're good, they come in in the summer and they, you know, there are a handful of guys last year that were summer enrollees around the country. They ended up being freshman All-Americans. They're just better. So if he's that guy, it won't matter. But if he really needs a lot of development, which he's a little later to the sport, I think it would behoove him if football's his deal to enroll early. I don't know, man. He's got to answer that himself. That's a really hard one. And it's very subjective. Yeah. It would be hard giving up, like, if you're baseball, like, you look forward to your senior year, right? You know, that's what I would think. Yeah, me so, too. I would lean towards staying, but I don't I don't know how that works for him. Uh, he'd have to have that conversation with Mac, too, because I'm sure they would like him to enroll early. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you. I, I would personally like to stay and finish it out, but I, I love your point there about ultimately it's probably dependent on where you think your future has a better shot at, at making it into a profession or honestly – Gosh, we talk so much about the professionalization of it. Sometimes, man, you just got to go with what your heart loves and and the other stuff will come later. So great stuff, Brian Smith, as always. Thank you, brother, for being with us. Always good to chat. Thank you very much, sir. Have a great day.
That's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. We want to thank Brian Smith, as always, for joining us. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Isaac Shade and the show at Locked on Heels. You can email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on audio and video formats. Smash the like button and leave your comments on today's show. Once again, I'd love to hear your minutes breakdown. Man, I hope you all have a great weekend. I want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Today's deuces are going out to you, Will Allison. Yeah, I saw that comment a couple of days ago on YouTube. Let's all do it together. Until Monday. Peace.